The History of North America series is a labor of love that I share with my teenage son, Sean, who is my partner, audio technician, and sound editor. In 18 months, we have well over one quarter million plays of our episodes and are blessed with listeners and viewers in 130 countries as we climb the ranking charts of many nations. It's an honor and privilege to present this series to all you good folks. We appreciate your interest and support, and thank you sincerely for loving history. Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. The glorious era that was Tudor England helped shape the early exploration and colonization of the North American continent. Join me as we continue a deep dive into Tudor England and its great transatlantic explorers. As the Tudors prepare to explore and settle in America, the battle rages on to determine if the colonization will be done under the Catholic or Protestant banner. On a recent fact-finding trip to southern England, I went in search of Queen Elizabeth I. Elizabeth was born at Greenwich in 1533 and was the daughter of the Tudor King Henry VIII by his second wife, Anne Boleyn. Elizabeth succeeded her half-sister, Queen Mary, to the throne in 1558. Elizabeth's long reign was one of the most brilliant in English history. Referred to as the Golden Age, it is remembered for the defeat of the Spanish Armada in 1588, the execution of Mary, Queen of Scots, the year before, and for many important voyages of exploration and discovery to North America. Known as the Virgin Queen, the colony of Virginia along the eastern coast was named after her. Beauty, art, literature, and fashion flourished at her court and in her reign. Noted for her vanity and love of jewels, elaborate clothes, headdresses, and dancing, she had many admirers, but never married. Her favorite men at court included Thomas Seymour, Robert Dudley, Francis Drake, Humphrey Gilbert, Walter Raleigh, Francis Bacon, William Cecil, and Robert Devereux. She was crowned at Westminster Abbey in 1559 and reigned for over 45 years. Elizabeth Tudor was a cold, calculated Protestant queen with an attitude towards image, power, and governance that reminds some modern observers of the reign of the United Kingdom's first female Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher. As Secretary of State, Chief Minister, and Spymaster, Sir Francis Walsingham's job was to advise Elizabeth on government matters, gather intelligence, eliminate all internal and external threats to her reign, and protect, advance, and promote the nation's new reformed religion, Protestantism. Although his queen did not want to make windows into men's souls, Walsingham felt driven by Protestant zeal to counter the old faith, Catholicism, and sanction the use of torture against Catholic priests, church leaders, and suspected conspirators. These were obviously troubled and complicated times, unlike the perfect world described in Tudor-era humanist Thomas More's Utopia. Sir Francis was smart, loyal, and patriotic, and tried to make himself indispensable to the Queen during his long career in her service, just as his predecessor, Thomas Cromwell, had done alongside the Queen's late father. Sir Francis died in 1590, 
most probably of cancer, at his house in Seething Lane by the Tower of London, now the site of a Victorian office building called Walsingham House. His primary residences, apart from the Royal Court and Seething Lane, were at Barn Elms in Surrey and at Odium in Hampshire. Nothing remains of any of his houses. He was buried privately beside his son-in-law in Old St. Paul's Cathedral. The grave and monument were destroyed in the 1666 Great Fire of London. His name appears, however, on a modern monument in the crypt listing the important graves lost. Walsingham's surviving daughter, Frances, married the Earl of Essex. His second wife, Ursula, Lady Walsingham, continued to live at Barn Elms with a small staff of servants until her death in 1602. My fact-finding mission first took me to the town of Hatfield in the county of Hertfordshire, 20 miles north of London. I followed the English Heritage Finger Post signs towards Hatfield House, a country home set in a large park, the Great Park, on the eastern side of town. Built in 1485, Henry VIII acquired the palace in 1538 and used it as a nursery for his three children. The palace is most closely associated with Elizabeth. She had a happy childhood there as a princess, sharing in her brother Edward's Protestant education. Circumstances changed for the young royal when her half-sister Mary came to the throne in 1553. The Catholic Queen Mary feared that her enemies might plot to place her Protestant sister on the throne. Elizabeth was effectively kept under house arrest at Hatfield for three years in what is now known as the Old Palace in Hatfield Park. It was there in 1558, while sitting under an oak tree in the park, that the youthful princess learned that she had become queen following the death of Queen Mary. Upon her succession to the throne, Queen Elizabeth held her first council of state in the house's great banqueting hall. One of her most trusted advisers later in her reign, Robert Cecil, acquired Hatfield House after the Queen's death. I walked the beautiful grounds of the park. The lush gardens appeared well manicured, favoring the French style. Leaving Hatfield, I got back on the highway, heading south. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I plan to visit a London-area heritage site associated with Queen Elizabeth. I voice-commanded the vehicle's GPS with the next destination. Making good time behind the wheel, I merged my rental onto the London Orbital Motorway, a 117-mile highway that encircled almost all of Greater London. Driving southwest, I diligently followed the car's navigational system, guiding me to the next stop. 
Hampton Court Palace. The Royal Palace, about 11 miles upstream of central London on the River Thames, was built in 1515 for Cardinal Thomas Wolsey, a favorite of Henry VIII. In 1529, as Wolsey fell from favor, the king seized the palace for himself and later enlarged it. Along with St. James's Palace, it is one of only two surviving palaces out of the many owned by King Henry. The Tudor king celebrated his first Christmas with his fifth wife, Catherine Howard, at Hampton Court Palace in 1540, and there married his sixth and last wife, Catherine Parr, in 1543. The palace remained in use as a royal residence for the next two centuries. Today, Hampton Court is open to the public and is a major tourist attraction. Visitors especially enjoy the lovely gardens, the state bedchambers, a large number of artworks from the royal collection, and the vast kitchens capable of feeding the king's entourage of 1,000 people. On my many past visits, I never missed viewing the oldest extant real tennis court still in use for the game of Real Tennis, an older version different from the present game. Once parked in the guest visitor section, I removed myself from the vehicle and shook my legs to get the blood flowing. I took a deep breath, then another. I consciously filled my lungs with the fresh air of Tudor glory. This, I thought to myself, is history at its best. Marching towards the main entrance, I traversed the base court and entered the inner grounds of the complex through Anne Boleyn's Gate, named for Queen Elizabeth's mother, who had been executed, beheaded by her father, King Henry VIII. I was greeted warmly in the reception area and proceeded to immediately commence an informal insider tour of the buildings and grounds, including the famous hedge maze. I wound my way into the heart of the palace and eyed the exquisite tapestries hanging on the walls of the impressive Great Hall, the last medieval Great Hall built for the English monarchy. All three of King Henry VIII's children went on to become rulers of England. His son Edward was actually born at Hampton Court Palace. He was a sickly boy who reigned as King Edward VI for only a few years, dying of tuberculosis in 1553, aged only 15. Henry's eldest daughter, Mary Tudor, reigned for only five years. In 1554, she married her first cousin once removed, the future King Philip of Spain. A year later, it was thought that Mary was pregnant. She and her entourage gathered here at the palace to await the birth. However, no baby ever came, her swollen belly the most likely result of a psychological phantom pregnancy. Elizabeth, like her father, loved Hampton Court, despite having been held prisoner here shortly before her own accession. The only daughter of Henry VIII and his second wife, Anne Boleyn, the young princess's life was tragically thrown into chaos when her mother was beheaded. Elizabeth was declared illegitimate and banished from court, but reinstated after her half-brother Edward's birth. As queen, she often enjoyed relaxation from the cares of state at this palace. She was resting in the lovely gardens after the traditional goose banquet on Michaelmas Day. 1588, when a messenger brought her news of the victory against the Spanish Armada. Many feel this moment was the high point of Elizabeth's extraordinary 45-year reign. Having wound the ancient passageways of the palace, I presently stood in front of the large 5-by-12-foot famous dynastic portrait, the family of Henry VIII. The tableau is an oil-on-canvas painting 
completed in about 1545 by an unknown artist and features the Lady Mary, Prince Edward, King Henry VIII, and his third wife, Jane Seymour, and the Lady Elizabeth Tudor. A young Princess Elizabeth is wearing her mother's A necklace. Anne Boleyn visited Hampton Court on a number of occasions. Work was still underway on her apartments above the gate when she was put to death at the Tower of London. There is a contentious but persistent belief that the classic tune Greensleeves was composed by Henry VIII for his lover and future queen consort Anne Boleyn, Elizabeth's doomed mother. Boleyn allegedly rejected King Henry's attempts to seduce her, and this rejection may be referred to in the sentimental ballad When the Writer's Love Cast Me Off Discourteously. Next time, we explore England's great age of North American discovery during the Tudor period, known as the Elizabethan Age. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calatrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calatrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text history that's H I S T O R Y using the code 30605.